When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. The Project Upland podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. And by Onyx Maps. Know where you stand. You're tuned into the Project Upland Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Larson. Welcome to the show for episode number 46. Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits the finest rough grouse and woodcock hunting experience in northern minnesota check them out at pineridgegrousecamp.com and by onyx maps the world's most comprehensive mapping system for outdoors men and women download the onyx hunt app today get your hands on it if you're not using onyx maps you're missing out i'm telling you been using it for a couple seasons now and i would not go anywhere without it i love onyx maps Check it out, onyxmaps.com. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. And by Gumleaf USA. High quality, premium, handcrafted rubber boots that are built for comfort, performance, and they are built to last. I love my Gumleaf boots. I believe that you will too. Go to gumleafusa.com and use the promo code PU2018. That'll get you free shipping from our friends at Gumleaf USA. Check them out, gumleafusa.com. This week's winner of the Project Upland Podcast giveaway is Ryan C. Ryan C. is a listener. He's a military man. Thank you for your service, Ryan. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the show, providing some meaningful feedback, suggestions for future episodes. Ryan is getting into upland hunting. He's got some enthusiasm. And he's learning a thing or two on the Project Upland Podcast, which I take as a compliment and is a bigger compliment to all of our guests, because we all know that's where the information comes from. Thank you to Ryan. Thank you to our guests. You could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is one of these things. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Subscribe to our podcast. We love it when you subscribe. Make sure you get all the episodes. Send me an email with some feedback or a guest suggestion. I would love to hear from you. Send me an email at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, we're back at it, everybody. Hope everybody had a wonderful November, a happy Thanksgiving. 
and I hope people are still out there getting after it in the uplands. My hunting is definitely wound down. When I recorded this interview, I was just gearing up to do a little bit of deer hunting, put some meat in the freezer. I was successful at that. I'm very thankful that I will have venison to eat, but my mind is drifting back towards upland hunting. It's really winding down here in the Northwoods. I'm desperately hoping to get out for a few more rough grouse hunts. I got a little trip coming up this weekend to South Dakota. Little business, little pleasure. I'm gonna get out and do some pheasant hunting. I might just kill my very first pheasant this weekend in South Dakota. I'm hopeful. And if I do, or if I don't, I'll tell you guys about it next week. Let's get into today's show. This is an interview I did early last month back in November. My guest today is Sabin Adams. He works for Pheasants Forever, but he may be more known for his project titled The Bird Tales. If you're not familiar with The Bird Tales, you'll learn a lot more about it today. Sabin is an avid upland bird hunter. He does it with a passion. He's my kind of guy. I assume he's your kind of guy. He was a great guest. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Without further ado, let's welcome Sabin Adams to the Project Upland Podcast. All right, Sabin, here we go, man. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited. Absolutely. I uh, We were chatting a little bit here before I hit the record button. I, I kind of feel like I know you already a little bit, even though this is the first time we have chatted on the phone, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Before we get ahead of ourselves, why don't you put us on the map, Sabin? Where do you call home base and where do you do most of your upland hunting? You uh, looked at a picture of Minnesota, and you tried to throw a dart at the bullseye dead center middle of it. Uh, you hit just about where I am. Well, I'm uh, a little way uh, from South Center, Alexandria area. So right in the middle of my home state, Minnesota, fellow Minnesota boy, gotta love that. So are you southwest of St. Cloud still, or no? No, I am northwest of St. Cloud. Ah, gotcha. Okay. All right, so and and I know from from watching your videos, you have the luxury of hunting multiple species of upland birds. What uh, you know, what's it's November right now. We were just chatting. It's a cold, blustery November evening. I'm getting snowed on up here in Duluth. You said you got some snow last night. I mean, definitely the seasons are changing right before our eyes. But what's been keeping you busy lately out in the uplands? Well, I'm kind of in uh, transition mode. Uh, I did quite a bit of rough grouse hunting um, and, you know, started getting into roosters as the season opened up. But um, now it's going to be, now that the snow is starting to fall and we started to get colder temperatures, it's going to be rooster city. I'm going to be chasing pheasants for pretty much till the end of the season now. Uh, but right now is that uh, there's always this window during the year, every year, when hunting pheasants gets to be kind of tough, where the cattail flues and the wetlands are going to freeze over, but not enough for myself and maybe not even enough for a dog, but plenty for a rooster pheasant. And so uh, we're kind of in this mode right now where it's going to be, it might be tough for a few days to get on birds, but we'll find a way. This is, for you and I, being being from Minnesota, do you have, is it, is it gun rifle season open for you guys? Are you in a shotgun zone? What's it like down there? Yep. It's a, a shotgun. I'm in the shotgun zone and it's open through Sunday of this week. So it's kind of hectic here right now. Um, there's a fair bit of time spent if you want to bird hunt. I don't like to bump into gun hunters or deer gun hunters uh, when I'm trying to bird hunt. So I spend a fair bit of time hopping from spot to spot, just looking for some place to go where I'm not going to be disturbing too many deer hunters. But that can be a challenge, also. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. And that's kind of you know I'm I'm up in the Northwoods region, and I would say, you know, we don't close the season. I know other states like Michigan, I believe, grouse season is closed during their rifle season. That's not the case in Minnesota up in the Northwoods, but. As a general rule of thumb, I mean, a lot of people deer hunt, so a lot of the upland hunters are deer hunting, and I would say, aside from that, most upland hunters pretty much just stay out of the woods, especially that first week, 
maybe you get some guys going out there. If you can really scout out the area and you know there's nobody hunting it, you might get out there second week and things kind of slow down a little bit. But again, this is, you know, it's pretty much a, I consider it a state holiday. I mean, I, I, I do enjoy deer hunting. And as I was telling you before we hit record, I, I'm kind of transitioning and I'm going to start doing, I think, the bulk of my deer hunting, at least gun deer hunting in Wisconsin. And uh, that affords me a couple extra weekends of, uh, of grouse hunting. So that's kind of cool. But you've got shotgun deer season until this Sunday and then things kind of open back up for you and you'll be transitioning to roosters. Do you have any more trips planned the rest of the way? Are you going to be just be hunting, hunting around home for the rest of the season? So technically, yes, I'm hunting around home for the rest of the season. But as a, a number of my friends know, I'm a season extender. Uh, I like to get as many days out of the season as I possibly can. Um, so this year was the first time in a bunch of years that I went somewhere during Minnesota season. I went uh, to South Dakota um, the third weekend in September uh, to hunt sharp tail when I could have been hunting in Minnesota. But typically, I, I stay out of the Minnesota season. I just stay home and hunt birds around here. Um, but before Minnesota opens, uh, I like to get, uh, I go to Nebraska. Uh, I've been doing that for two years now. Um, so we open September 15th for rough grouse and, and shrub tail. Um, Nebraska opens September 1st, so that's really nice. And then I like to extend the season. So I'm going to be in South Dakota the last weekend of their season, which is the weekend after ours. And then we haven't really decided yet. We might hit Nebraska up again during the last weekend of their season, or uh, we may go to Kansas or Oklahoma. Uh, we're not sure yet. So uh, that's up in the end, but I got a few more trips planned. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. This time of year only comes around once a year, and extending it is it's a good way to go about it. This was my first year taking a trip out west. We I we left before rough grouse opened here, but I did have some op- some overlap, so I missed I missed opening weekend of rough grouse season back home, but I felt like it was a pretty good trade off just given the given the conditions we typically face here back home, and and we had really really good weather out west. I know that's not always the case; you can get some pretty hot weather, but we had fortunately really great weather. So. I, uh, I'm right there with you. I, I will be, I'll be trying to extend my grouse season as long as I can to get out for some bonus hunts after the deer seasons close up. And then I might have a trip to South Dakota in the works and I guess we'll have to see what else happens, but it's, uh, still hunting season and we still got some, still got some birds to chase, don't we? Yeah. And, and the rooster, the pheasant hunting is, uh, once everything freezes down and all the crops have been harvested and we get know and you can find tracks. I mean, the best pheasant hunting, in my opinion, happens in December uh, once everything freezes, if it gets cold enough. Um, so I'm hoping that the best is around the corner still. Yeah, that's excellent. That's definitely something to look forward to. Now, as a seasoned Minnesota pheasant hunter, I know that the expectations for this season were pretty, I don't know about high, but they were People were optimistic. I felt like, I think I remember hearing roadside counts were good. And I interviewed Bob St. Pierre a while back, and I think he was pretty optimistic about the season. Now, we're well into the season. So as somebody that's been out there chasing roosters, what's your take on on the season this year? So in terms of pheasant hunting, I've been hunting just around my house so far. I've went a little bit south, um, but I haven't ventured to the southwest part of the state or south central. And they got quite a bit different weather than what we had in the middle of the state. They got a lot of rain during the primary nesting season. A few of my friends down there have been saying it's been fairly good. Um, But around here, I'd say it was slightly better than, I'd say it is slightly better than last year. But I wouldn't say it's, you know, out of the park phenomenal yet. But uh, last year was a pretty good year, and this year is a little bit better. So there's enough birds around. Okay, so on the topic of bird numbers, this is interesting because again, you've got you've got the opportunities to chase multiple species there. I would imagine that you're you're not very far from rough grouse at all. Are they pretty much in your backyard, or do you have to travel a little bit? The closest public spot that I know of, there are some woods that I can look out my window that I would bet there's rough grouse in there, but I don't hunt those woods. Gotcha. But the closest rough grouse public spot I have 
is six miles away. So they're pretty much right off the back, off the back door. Yeah, I'd say that's close enough. That's probably uh, that's probably even closer than some of the closest spots I would hunt up here in the Northwoods. But my real question is regarding rough grouse cycles. If you're familiar with them, I mean, do you feel like do you experience the cycle down there? I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, it doesn't seem like I'm going to make some of my friends with the DNA upset, but it doesn't <laughs> feel like uh, any of the predictions seem to hold true for me. And maybe it's just an anomaly where if they say bird numbers are really low, I say, well, I'll prove that wrong, and then I hunt harder or something. I don't know. But um, it just seems to be uh, some years they're higher and some years they're lower. Um, sometimes when there's a higher expectation, I might hunt a little bit harder and shoot some more birds. And so it seems to be true that, um, you know, compared to last year, I'd say this year the grouse hunting is, um, was at least a good bit better than last year's hunting. And the numbers from the cycle uh, were supposed to be higher. Now, I think the weather for grouse production last year was a lot worse than the weather this year. So that definitely plays in the favor. But it's hard to feel the cycle when you have weather and all these other factors uh, to take into account. Yeah, I think I think that's that's very well put. You answered my kind of what was what I was going to ask you was what you felt uh, this year compared to last year, just because of the publicity that we had with grouse numbers, and it's obviously something that's very near and dear to me, and I I certainly pay attention to it. But you raise a really really good point, I think, in that we're all only one person, and in general the information that we get aside from that rough grouse, you know, the drumming surveys as we go through the season and we talk to our friends at hunting camps and, and online, I mean, we get a lot of anecdotal reports and we, I believe that we compare a lot of apples to oranges in that you don't know, you don't know hunter effort. You don't know. There's a lot, there's so many variables and you hit on them. You know, do you hunt a little bit harder when the expectations are high or, or do you walk a few more miles when the expectations are low and you feel like you need to cover more ground? So there, there are so many variables. And, and, and I guess with that being said, that's why I asked you because you're another data point and you're another, you're another upland hunter who's, who's out there in the woods. So we can kind of use that to increase our sample size and, and get some more perspective. So I thought you answered that well. Yeah, for sure. It, it's one of those things. I, I try to do this all the time. And some of my friends who are going to listen to this are going to be laughing when they, when they hear me say this, but I try to ask a non-hunter what they think about the bird population in their area. You know, just when we were in South Dakota, we went into the grocery store and uh, the guy that was at the register, I said, have you seen much for, for sharp tails around here? And um, it, no matter where you go, when you ask people, you get the same kind of comments. And we were in like sharp tail paradise in, in terms of where we were in South Dakota, lots of birds around. And he goes, around here, nah, there's not really many sharp tails. You got to go further west for that. And I felt like I could have just kept going west and going west and going west until eventually somebody said, no, you got to go further east for that. And I get the same thing here in Minnesota, asking people about, rough grouse numbers. Ah, I know I don't really see many of those birds anymore. And same thing about pheasants. And it's just people don't have a big enough sample size and a clear enough understanding of populations to really make a, a, a good account of what's actually out there. It takes a lot of data and a lot of time to have some kind of understanding. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree. I think that's, it's funny in that you're either talking to some really smart locals or or that's just that's just the the perception that that a lot of people have and i i think one thing to say about that is we're talking about upland birds we're talking about birds that are they're very low on the food chain and they don't make a living by being flashy and putting themselves out there you know if you're not pursuing them and you're not looking for them you're not you're not going to see a lot of upland birds and you're not going to have a great perspective on what that population is doing from year to year. So again, somebody that's been in the field, somebody that's been in the woods and has, has put some hunter effort down on the ground. That's, that's a good solid data point. It's it's funny. Mm -hmm. All right, Saban. Well, we've chatted a little bit about, about kind of where our conversation is going to take us today, but I do want to ask you, you work for pheasants forever, correct? Yeah, I, I do. It's a, 
a little known secret. Uh, I work with Evan Ferber and I also do the bird tales, uh, and I, they don't really overlap much, uh, in, at least in the bird tales. So I don't think many people knew that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I- I don't know if it's where I, where I figured that out. Maybe it says it on your Facebook page or something, but I know that I was a watcher of the bird tales for a while prior to knowing that you worked for presence forever. So yeah, you're not out there advertising it or anything, but uh, what do you tell me a little bit about pheasants forever? I've had Bob St. Pierre on the podcast and, and just in random small world fashion, I, I know a handful of guys that work there. I went to high school with a couple of guys that work at headquarters. And uh, so I'm, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you know them, but tell us a little bit about what you do for pheasants forever. So I am a, a habitat restoration specialist. And so pheasants forever does, we do all kinds of habitat work um, across the state. Primarily on uh, areas with pheasants, um, anywhere from the south. We've got projects all the way down in Rock County in the southwest corner, all the way up into Norman County and Polk County, um, where you're running into more sharp tails. And uh, so a lot of those projects, they take time and people to um, develop a plan. What are we going to do on this property? Are we going to... Uh, do a diversity seeding, increase the quality of the habitat that's out there? Are we going to be um, restoring wetlands? All of that takes time. It takes preparation. Um, we've got to hire contractors, and we have to go out and make sure that the project got finished and that all the specs were met. So that's what I do, and it, it would sound like I spend a whole bunch of time out in the field, um, you know, with a survey equipment talking with contractors, looking at properties, but as, as it typically goes in today's world, I spend a lot of time staring on a computer screen. So, but I mean, that's, that's what I, what I do every day. That's very cool. I w- you, you kind of answered my question. I was going to ask how much time you were able to spend in the field. What's your background? Is it surveying, civil, civil engineering, technician, that kind of thing? Nope. Uh, biology. Oh, okay. So I have, I have a, a bachelor's in biology from Midgey State, believers. Did you do any hunting when you were up there? No, no, never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you went to every class. You went to every class. You never saw a flock of ducks come down in the morning, or 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 a grouse flush. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't miss too many classes. I'll say that for myself. But I also shot a lot of birds when I was in the Midgey. So. That's excellent. That's excellent. That's that's good bird country over there. I've I, I've actually I guess. I've been through that area enough to know that it's good bird country, but I don't think I've ever hunted grouse or ducks or geese or anything that far west. I've, I passed through there on my way to hunt geese and ducks, but haven't uh, haven't hunted in that area. So I'll have to uh, I'll have to hit on another project upland guest that we've had Matt Brewer in the past and have him take me out bird hunting up there. Oh yeah. So what do you love about working for pheasants forever? Because I assume you love working for pheasants forever. Oh, it's yeah, it's a blast. Uh, it's really great. I mean, one of my one of my favorite parts about this is um, just the people that we get to work with. Um, the other employees at Sun Forever are fantastic. The the chapter folks are awesome. You get to see people who, I mean, they, they go out and do a day job every day that's not habitat related, and then they go put in, you know, an extra however many hours to plan a banquet or to plan a youth event. And that it's really cool to see the level of dedication that those kinds of people have um that i mean the truth is the thing that i like the most about working for presence forever is when i look at the stuff that's being accomplished it blows my mind um right now the amount of habitat restoration uh public land acquisition um and all kinds of stuff that really benefits uh birds habitats and subsequently hunters is it's just rolling right now, and it, it's really fantastic. Yeah, I will definitely second that. I got to give Pheasants Forever a lot of credit for that. That the work that they do, and the amount of dollars and effort that gets put back into habitat for the money that they raise, I think I think they set a they set a really high bar, and they lead by example. And you know, all of my dealings with with the people that work for pheasants forever and the members and, and I am a member of pheasants forever, even though I've never shot a pheasant saving, but we're going to, we're going to work on that. But, but props to pheasants forever. Not that, uh, not that they need it for me, but they're, they're doing a heck of a job and, and that's, uh, that's clear and, and happy to, happy to have people like you working for them. 
Yeah, and uh, we've got some projects even going on up near your neck of the woods on some Shreptail Grouse habitat. So maybe we, one of these days we could meet in the middle and try and find some, uh, some upland birds over there as well. That sounds like an excellent idea. Sharptail grouse quickly rose to a very high on my list of favorite pursuits after after seriously I had shot I shot one once in in northern Minnesota a couple of years ago, but uh, this was my first time actually out really hunting them and they are they're an awesome bird and I would love to see more of them around here closer to here which which would be really cool. So yeah, we should do that. The sharp-tailed grouse, they get, they get under your skin. All of the, both the prairie grouse, the chickens as well. They, something about that covey explosion and then that chuckle that they do. Yes. I just want to keep going. <laughs> yep. They will capture you uh, right from the start. That's for sure. We've kind of, we've got deep into this conversation, but I have to ask you, I need to hear about your upland beginnings. I always ask people about their story, how they got into upland hunting. One of one of our main goals with the Project Upland podcast is to introduce new folks to upland hunting and show them how to get started into all this stuff that we are so passionate about. How did you get started in upland hunting, Saban? So I come from a slightly different uh, hunting background than what most people have. Most people, their dad and their grandpa and, and their uncle and all these other people hunted all the time and took them with. Um, my dad deer hunts, uh, but nobody in my immediate family uh, bird hunts at all. Uh, but my cousin, uh, him and I spent a lot of time together growing up. He's two years older than me. And we we ran all over this area. And I don't, I wouldn't claim that we were successful hunters. I mean, I mean far from it. We did some things now that I think back on and go, you know, sitting with the wind blowing in our face, really hard, pouring rain, duck hunting, can't figure out why there's no ducks coming in our decoys. It's just the worst stuff. But we did that growing up, him and I, uh, just friends running around hunting stuff. Um, and then he went off to college and I went off to college. And when I was in college, I, I duck hunted a lot. Um, and I still went to class and I still got good grades. I'm going <laughs> to stick to that. But, uh, I duck hunted a heck of a lot when I was in college and we'd come home, you know, there's no, there's no roosters in Bemidji and, and we did shoot a few elk grouse, but I was really into the waterfall hunting. Uh, we'd come home and shoot some roosters during Christmas or during Thanksgiving, but it was really after college. Um, I moved, uh, I got the job of Pheasants Forever and I moved back to the same area I grew up in and the duck hunting right here in central Minnesota is not, it's not terrible, but it's not what it was when I was living up in Bemidji or when I lived over in the western part of the state. And so after a few, uh, a few times getting beat up by the ducks, I started to hit back into the woods and into the fields and shooting upland birds and it's been picking up and going more and more and more ever since. So I watched a video of you shooting a greenhead mallard over a point in the middle of a field, and you're going to try to tell me the duck hunting's not very good down there? <laughs> well, that, so that, that wasn't here, though. That was at the northwestern Minnesota. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> but if you, could, if you could replicate that anywhere at any time, I would be impressed. So it's, uh, that, was, that was more than a fluke to have that happen. Yeah, I was uh, I was being facetious, of course, but that was a that was a hilarious moment of the bird tales. Uh, that's awesome, man. So, so that's kind of a little bit about your background. Now, right now, you've got two bird dogs. When did the dogs get involved for you? So this actually goes all the way back. Uh, Daisy um, is a lab short hair mix. We got her when when I was in college at some point. Uh, my now wife then. Uh, fiance Sarah. Um, it was one of these. Let's just go look at puppies. We're not going to get one. And then a little bit later, we're driving home with a dog. I don't know how that happened, but I'm <laughs> glad it did. Um, and at the time, we were shooting ducks and geese a lot, and so she was going to be a, a duck dog. And for the life of me, I never could get her to pick to carry a bird to retrieve a bird. Um, she'll. If a bird's swapping, she'll catch it, pick it up, you know, she'll stand over it. And if you got, if you cripple a rooster and it's running, she'll catch it. 
but she will not bring it back to you. She never has. Um, and so we, when we were duck hunting, it was a real disappointment to me that she she would not retrieve. And I I knew a lot less than I know now, which I don't even know a ton now about <laughs> dog training. You and me and both. I I had no idea what I was doing then, and so she never figured that out. But I can still remember the first Christmas break uh, that her and I went pheasant hunting, and it was just like she was born to do it. She could sniff out a track of a pheasant, and now she's my my old dog. She's nine, and uh, she's got wisdom. She knows exactly what she's doing and uh, where to find the birds. So she was she's officially my first bird dog. We had some other dogs growing up that were. I don't know if you'd even dare to call them blue dogs, but uh, now I've got Remnar, the Wonder Dog, and Alex Colin, and uh, he's just a rocket of energy. I, I can't even keep up with him most of the time. He's just crazy, crazy dog. And Remnar, I know this from watching the bird tales. Remnar is a German short hair pointer purebred. Yep. Where'd you get him from? Anywhere in particular? Yeah, I got him from a kennel um, in the south central part of the state. They're not a, a real big kennel, but some people that we knew and uh, it was the right time and the price was right. And, and uh, first, my first pointing dog. So uh, I have had a lot of learning to do <laughs> trying to teach a, a pointing dog. And he's been teaching me probably more than I've been teaching him. And it's been going really well, but I'm really excited for the next pointing dog because we're going to really hit it off when that one comes along. Yeah. You, you and I are, we're in a similar state of mind right now because I have a, I've got a four year old going on five year old pointing dog. And I, again, like you, he has taught me so much about birds and about dogs and you know, I love him. He's, he's, he's a good dog, but I'm really, really excited for the next one just because I will actually have a little bit of a clue what I'm doing next time. And, and, you know, I think it's, I think it's in our nature, you know, we want to improve and we want to uh, iterate on our, on our failures and our successes and, and try to try to do better. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Getting back to Daisy, the short hair lab mix, what is her style in the uplands? Uh, she flushes. Okay. And um, she's a, she is, a hardcore pheasant dog. I mean, I've shot rough routes over her. Um, it's possible, but uh, she tends to range a little bit more than you want to when you're rough route hunting. So she'll be 30 or 40 yards. I, I just put out a, an episode a little bit ago uh, for this week, The Bird Tales, and there's a scene in there where you see me do a little bit of a, I don't know if you want to call it a power walk or a slight jog, um, but uh, when she's hot on the scent of a bird, she knows how to push uh, the limits to make sure that bird gets up. Um, but in her old age and in her weight gain over the summer, she slows down a little bit. So that's, that's been a little nice. When was the decision made that the next dog was going to be a pointing dog? I don't know. I don't know when the exact decision was made, but uh, I know that I was doing more and more sharp tail hunting uh, and more rough grouse hunting. Um, and I mean, we still shot a fair amount of, of rough grouse with Daisy, but I just knew if I went to, if I went to pointing dog route, that's when it, uh, it was really going to click and, and we were going to be into something. So yeah, I just wanted to get onto more, uh, more grouse. And so pointing dog it was. Got it. Yeah. And yeah, and I guess, I guess maybe a, a different question I could have asked was, was there was there a dog of a friend or somebody else's that you saw that that made you think I want that kind of dog, or or it just was it was just kind of your experience and naturally led you that way? I wouldn't say it was any dog in particular. Um, maybe just watching hunting shows, and I I think what I had heard from somebody was um, short hairs were like the most just gonna hunt kind of pointing dogs not the least finicky and just want to go, go, go. Um, and at least at the time I was like, that's what I want because, you know, I put on a lot of miles every year and I do a lot of hunting. And so I wanted that go, go, go dog. And now both my dogs are in the house and they're both sleeping in the living room. And, but there's times when I really wish I could turn that go, go, go knob down on them not because that dog just, he can do laps for days and days and days. So, 
Maybe the next dog is going to be something with a little bit less uh, energy. But. Yeah, sure. No, that, those are those are all fun topics for conversation. And I, you know, certainly the short hairs that I've had had the pleasure of walking behind and, and hunting over. I mean, I I would say they they certainly fit that description. But that's not to say that that there aren't other dogs that that do that or or anything like that. But yeah, for sure. All right, man. We've we've talked a lot about. Well, we haven't talked a lot about it. We keep mentioning the bird tails, but I would imagine there's plenty of listeners as, as popular and as superstar status as the bird tails are, I imagine. There's probably some people that don't know what it is, so why don't you fill us in, Saban? So the bird tails is a blog, and uh, I've had to tell at least more than a couple of people what a blog was. So it's like a blog where you tell your story every day, but it's in uh, a video format. And so every week, I hunt as much as I can. I wear a camera over my shoulder. Um, I carry around another camera that I talk into. I edit it all, put it together as a story of this is what happened to me in my previous week of upland bird hunting. And then I upload it onto Facebook and YouTube for everybody's viewing pleasure. Yeah. So vlog, video log, I'm glad you explained that because I was going to, uh, I was going to prod you a little bit about that. Certainly the bird tales carry the project upland podcast uh stamp of approval i i don't know how i stumbled upon them probably saw it on facebook or youtube or you know i'm not uh not a stranger to sitting down in front of the tv and i've got youtube on the tv and i just will google you know especially off season time i mean i'm talking depths of winter here I'll, I'll start searching bird hunting videos. So somewhere along the lines, I stumbled across the, the bird tails. And this is season two, right? Was last year your first year or was last year your second year? Last year was the first year. So okay. Season two. Okay. So this is season two. And one thing that, that I think, so as I was kind of getting at, I mean, I, it's very enjoyable. I encourage people to check it out, get on YouTube, look up the bird tails. It's on Facebook too. Uh, I'll, I'll post links to all this stuff in the, in the show notes. But if, if you like to watch YouTube videos and you enjoy hunting, upland hunting content, the bird tails are definitely a great place to start. What, I mean, right out the gate, you had one thing that makes a makes a difference when we're talking about videos and, and stuff that's uploaded to YouTube is is video editing. It's one thing to strap a GoPro on your on your head and walk through the woods and just throw that online for people to kind of weed through themselves and find the highlights. You know, there might be some gold in there, but you might have to watch a lot of boring stuff. Well, that is definitely not the case with bird tails because you do a lot of editing and you show people the highlights and that's all they're seeing. And that's obviously what, what I think captivates myself certainly. And I'm, I'd imagine everybody else that watches it. So where did the, where did the video editing skills come from? I mean, you, you started at a pretty high level, I would say. So you must've had a little experience with that. Um, I don't know. I, my, the same cousin that I used to hunt with as a kid, him and I, uh, I always loved to videotape stuff. And even when I was younger, my parents had an old video camera and I would head out into the neighbor's field and, and up the hill and just videotape animals all the time. And, uh, when they got, my parents got their first computer, um, I started messing around with editing it. And I, the more I do it and, and have like a timeline to get it done so that an episode can go out, the, the less enjoyable it gets, unfortunately, but I do really enjoy editing videos. And so it's just been kind of a hobby I've done in the past a little bit. And then as I go along, I try to make every episode a little bit better. Um, but, you know, one of the things about doing the bird tales is that it, it, uh, it's not just a put together the best video you can right now. It's uh, put together the best video you can before next Friday. Of, of of what happened this last week, and so I, I'm I'm glad you uh, appreciate the the quality of the video editing. I spend a lot of time going, oh, gosh, I wish I would have got that shot, and why didn't I talk louder there? But uh, <laughs> I'm glad it's being well received. So yeah, I absolutely think that it's a great quality video every week. I like I said, I really enjoy it, and there are, you know, I have dabbled a little bit i've carried i've had a gopro I've, I've strapped that on my last hunt of the year last year i actually i used the gopro and then i used my good camera 
to kind of do some sort of cutscenes and like explain what I was doing. And it was on a, it was on a girl's hunt and it was, and it was really cool, but it is work and it's, it's not only work in the field and dealing with all the elements and all the conditions, but it's work after the fact and the editing. And that is, that was sort of the barrier for me and that I just, I just haven't had the time to, to put it together and who knows, maybe I will someday, maybe I won't, but all of that work that you put into it then creates a product that you put out online and people can consume it. And I think gain a lot of value from it. And I'm curious as to what your, what were your goal? I mean, you, you talked about, you just enjoyed videotaping stuff and you enjoy editing stuff. So it's a natural step for you to put that online. And I think that's, that's how a lot of people kind of get started in this sort of thing. They do something that they enjoy, they put it out there and then this feed this feedback loop happens where I would imagine you're getting outreach and comments and feedback from people that they are also enjoying it. I'm not. I, I guarantee I'm not the only viewer of the bird tales, am I? <laughs> no. Yeah, and you're right. I, I I do get good feedback that people are like, it. and there 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 definitely is a you know I might be in a slump. You know I didn't get the good footage, and uh, you're right. I do put highlights in there. So for every every ten minute bird tales episode that out there, there's like hundreds of hours of video that is not being seen. But um, when somebody comes and says, man, I watch your videos every week. I love them. Keep them coming. It's a little bit of boost and it. It, uh, it keeps me rolling. But to, to your question about, you know, why I started this whole thing and, and what I, like my ultimate goal with this is, you know, it's like when I started my biology degree in college and maybe even when I started working uh, for Pheasants Forever. It was kind of like this love of hunting and um, birds and all that stuff um, pushes you towards this career where you're going to you know, do hunting-related things and work on habitat. And one of the things that you realize, though, is without, without a uh, backbone of hunters, a lot of the stuff that I love um, is threatened. And so it, it seems really obvious or, or maybe it's actually counterintuitive, but it seems like if we didn't bring more hunters into the fold and we just let this thing fizzle, um, more birds for you and me, right? Like there's not going to be anybody at the parking lot that we have to compete with on the same day. But the deeper I get into birds and public land and habitat, um, the more it becomes evident that if you look at a property that's cold birds and it's got great habitat out there and you found the journal for that property and flip through the pages, it's going to be hunters, hunters and hunters and hunters that are putting the money forward, making the decision, um, making stuff happen uh, that keeps it there, that produces birds. And so part of starting this was how can I make people want, what talents or abilities do I have make people want to go hunting. So I like editing videos and I, I like filming stuff. And so uh, I'm going to entertain some people with bird hunting and hopefully it makes them want to become hunters and hit the field and buy a duck stamp and buy a pheasant stamp and, you know, do the things that we love and support. This. So Yeah. Very cool. I, I think had you asked if I were to, if I had to guess why you were doing the bird tales, Without you having said that, I think I would have come up with something similar in that. And I say that because I guess I've gathered that after watching enough episodes. And you recently did one where you actually took out a new hunter and you were mentored. And you and you actually talked about some of that stuff. But prior to that, it, I guess it was just – I think it was just evident that you were sharing your love for upland bird hunting and your enthusiasm and your passion for it. And you were hopeful that – that others obviously could see that and would get interested on their own. So I, I, again, I'm, I'm complimenting the bird tales a lot because I really think they're, I think they're, I think it's an awesome video log, uh, vlog, I guess. And I encourage people again to check it out. And it's obviously, it's admirable what you're doing now. Obviously you're, you're doing something you love. You're going out, you're hunting, you're, you're posting these videos, but the cool thing about a lot of these media vehicles just like this podcast you and i are having a conversation about upland bird hunting other people are going to listen to this and hopefully enjoy it hopefully gain 
gain value from it and maybe learn a thing or two, or maybe just learn that we don't really know what we're talking about, but we love upland hunting, don't we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, that, that's, that's what I, that's what I would have guessed, uh, what your goal was with the bird tails. So obviously, uh, keep doing it because it's really enjoyable. I mean, some of the things that I love about it are, we talked about, we talked about the highlights, but it's not a highlight reel. I mean, what, what you do when you, when you post one of these is you talk about your week in the field, basically what the, what the hunts were and it's the highs and the lows, you know, did you struggle to find birds? Maybe were you, did you think about uh, camping in a tent somewhere and then decide to drive home to your buddy's house and stay and not camp? And, you know, it's, it's all of that (laughs) stuff that you talk about. And I, I think you have, you got a, a, I think a really funny sense of humor. I mean, there's one scene that I'm thinking of where you, you just show this little snippet of, of you and your two buddies, you're sitting in a hot tub at a hotel, just kind of one, <laughs> one guy's got a beard and you're just kind of looking at each other, like after a long day in <laughs> hunting and it's, there's, there's some comedy involved and there's, there's really cool, uh, things like, uh, we talked about the, the mallard flushing out of the field. I mean, that was wild. Uh, there's some, you got some really, you captured some really cool grouse flushes, I think on camera, um, which brings up a good point. Tell me about your camera setup, because a lot of times, you know, people hear GoPro and they think of the GoPro mounted on somebody's head and it's really shaky and you get a, you might get a good, decent screenshot, but you have this really unique, uh, camera setup that, uh, I'm connecting the dots now in that you said you've, you kind of grew up always experimenting with video cameras. So I'm not surprised to see you have this little custom rig setup, but tell me a little bit about your uh, GoPro mount on your shoulder there. Yeah. So you're right. It is just a custom made, uh, piece of gadgetry that I've come up with. And, um, I actually, I get, that's probably one of the number one messages and comments I get from people. Is, <laughs> I, you know, I how figured. Did, how did you build that thing? But uh, it's um, a backpack I picked up. I think at Goodwill. I put a little bit of extra foam in the behind the, to support my spine, and there's a piece of um, CVC that kind of does an H in there or an I sideways H, and uh, then the PVC turns, comes off the top, and sits a little bit above my shoulder kind of hard to explain, but you can see it in some of the episodes. Yeah. And uh, that, the one in the latest episodes that I'm using now is, I believe, the sixth version that I've had for various reasons, uh, whether that's uh, back pain or it broke or you name it. Um, I went through four of those GoPro cameras now. Um, it's, wow. Uh, it's hard on equipment. And it's not... It's not the pheasant hunting that's part of the equipment. It's rough stuff. Yep. <laughs> it, uh, it really tears up stuff when you're trying to crawl through a uh, 10-year-old apple um, tree. I just had one uh, a few weeks ago where it just clean snapped off right in the middle of the hunt. And we didn't stop hunting. I was with some other guys. We just kept going. I picked up the camera and the arm and threw it in my back. And as I'm walking through the woods, I'm just like, I am flying. This feels so good. I don't have this arm that just keeps getting snagged on everything. But, yeah, but it's been, uh, that's been kind of a work in progress all the time, trying to make it better, make it more adjustable, make it less fragile. But, yeah, it's definitely unique. Yeah, it definitely captures uh captures some good shots and and I would imagine, yeah, it's a lot easier when you get out into the open country. I was going to ask you about the grouse woods because, as you well know, I mean, there's some, Sometimes when you're in the grouse woods and especially if the dog's on point or something like that, you get caught up in a tangle. I mean, there's some, there's some, some times where you just, you just push through it and it's, things are getting pulled and grabbed. And I would imagine anything sticking yeah. out like that, that camera, I mean, yeah, it's gotta be, uh, I, I knew that you were on at least version 2.0, but now the, uh, the truth comes out. It's a, it's like version 6.0. Yeah. And you know, if you watch, um, especially with Remnar, when he goes on, when he goes on point, you'll usually see me, uh, especially in golf hunts, standing there, you know, trying to figure out how I want to approach the situation just like anybody else. But I probably sit there for a few extra seconds compared to, to normal because I'm thinking, how can I not snap this camera or get tangled up in there and not be able to get a shot or actually get the footage that I want to get? So <laughs> it, it takes a little bit of thought to, in order to get that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, like I said, I'll put links to the bird tails, uh, 
YouTube channel and, and everything in the show notes. But again, I do encourage people to check that out. There's a, there's some great stuff there. And, and I know that we're still in the upland hunting season and some seasons are just kicking off. I mean, you and I are in Minnesota, so we're kind of are in our own little world here, but a lot of other seasons are just picking up, but great off season material, bird tails, definitely, uh, definitely worth checking out. Now, a few more things I want to chat about with you before we let you go. Another, I think another theme in the bird tales that I don't know. I mean, I think you do highlight it quite a bit, but not necessarily advertising it, but you hunt public land. Yeah. Do you hunt public land ent- uh, entirely? Not entirely, but uh, last year I, I hunted one piece of private property um, that I talked about in the episode. But other than that, I, uh, I just hunt public land. Um, we're pretty blessed in Minnesota to have a wealth of public land um, where you can wander around on. And I'd rather drive a little extra ways and go out somewhere where I can just walk on um, than you know, have to mess with permission and all that other stuff. I did a, a lot of Canada goose hunting back in college and a little after college, knocking on doors all the time, trying to get permission and kind of just beat it out of me. And you now I just drive to the next WMA or WPA and find my birds up there. Yeah. And I guess I should clarify a little bit in that so often in Minnesota, we talk about public land and we mean land that's owned by the state, county, or even national forest. There are other states where that is just not the case at all, but they still have public access land. So when I when I say public land, I mean land that's that's open to public access, walk-in hunter programs. Every state's kind of has their own their own name for it. But certainly in Minnesota, we are very, very lucky to have just such a vast resource of of public lands. You know, there's there's obviously forests in the north and and you've got WMAs and WPAs down your way and they just they provide such a tremendous opportunity where i was going with that was when you're doing your out-of-state trips where do you how do you begin the scouting process as far as finding places to hunt so usually it's well pretty much always um on a computer screen yep um there's a there's a number of factors that i'm thinking about uh first of all is access um, where can we get on to hunt? So just about every state has their um, some type of, in Minnesota we call it a recreational compass, um, but they have a public land atlas where they show you where the spots are. Um, so I'm trying to find a spot that's got a wealth of, of access so we can get on, whether that's private land open to sportsmen or if it's, you know, WMAs or state forest or whatever it is. Um, so I'm looking for that, but then... The, the next thing that comes to my mind is, is probably, uh, pressure, um, from other hunters. Um, I'm looking for, you know, here's a great big city. Uh, a lot of people live there. Let's get a couple hours away from, away from there out into the sticks somewhere where there's going to be a little less pressure from hunters. Um, I'm also oftentimes looking through their state game agency's website. Um, a lot of states post, um, their, their population estimates, kind of, like their, um, what do they call it? In, well, like the mail carrier, the mailman. Yeah, uh, yep. Roadside counts. counts. The roadside counts, yep. However the state does it, a lot of states have their own kind of index. And I, I usually don't treat that like it's the gold standard, but it's fairly accurate. You know, if you look at a couple of years, you can say pretty consistently, yep, there's going to be birds down there. And sure. There's not too much pressure, and there's a place you can hunt. Let's get in the truck. And yeah. so... A lot of times what we've settled on is that the first day and maybe even sometimes the first year that first trip you make um, might be a bust where you just walk and you walk and you walk and you realize that you're not on the X and, and whatever it is, but just eventually you start figuring it out and you start finding a spot in other states and keep making trips. Yeah, definitely. It, it's something that challenge needs to be embraced because I've, I've spent a lot of years hunting a very small area of rough grouse and woodcock cover near my home. And it's a comfort zone for me where I got to know the area intimately well. And I I had confidence diving into covers, knowing that I would see birds or at least, at least having that expectation that, you know, I'd seen birds there before. And now I've I've expanded my territory a little bit. I've I've expanded my rough grouse hunting area quite a bit across Minnesota and Wisconsin and it can be a challenge and it can be 
I hate to use the word frustrating, but it can absolutely be frustrating Definitely. when you're, you're, you're putting down the miles and you're not finding birds. And, and that frustration comes out of the passion and, and the effort that you put into it. And of course we're driven by success. I mean, I think that's in our nature, but I've, I've had to remind myself many times to embrace that challenge because it's that challenge and that frustration that makes the success so much sweeter. And it, it can be hard to remember sometimes. And, and it's probably, again, it's probably just in our nature to feel that way. But my point of all, of all that is to say that if you, if you plan a trip like this, be prepared for the challenge, be prepared for the frustration, embrace it. It'll be better in the end. Absolutely. And you, you hit on something that I, I believe fully and I lamented to my friends that if we could go out and shoot limit the birds, consistently all the time we only had to walk a few hundred yards from the vehicle there's no way i would do this anymore but the other day i went on a hunt where we walked six and a half miles and we shot a rooster a couple hundred yards from the vehicle just as we were about to finish then i went up and we shot one rooster and that was the best dang rooster i've shot in a long in a long while just because we worked hard to get him and those moments are a lot sweeter than when you can just hop out and some of them and be done. Yeah, absolutely. It it doesn't take much to, I mean, it really doesn't take anything. Any day in the woods is better than a lot of days doing something else, but it doesn't take much to make a day feel successful. I had a similar day last weekend where I went out and I – I actually got a rough grouse pretty early, which you get a rough grouse pretty early in the day. You, you pretty much feel like the stars aligned, like you're, you're, you're on top of the world. And I, I, I will admit, I felt that way for a little bit. And then the rest of the day, it was an absolutely gorgeous day in the woods, but we had some dog work that wasn't, wasn't the greatest. Maybe, I don't know if it was conditions or just birds or who knows what it is. You know, I try not to. I tend to overanalyze things in the field and I try to try to quiet the mind a little bit, but we walked a long ways. We didn't bet. We didn't put anything else in the bag. And basically we're looping back to the truck on the way to the truck. My dog goes on point. I walk in and I flush and shoot and kill the last woodcock that I, I know I'm going to flush this year as the season's closed now, but I'm sure all the woodcock are gone. And you know, that, that little moment after that whole day in the woods, everything came together perfectly. That's a day that I won't soon forget. And that's, again, that's all it takes. Right. Absolutely. Well, we've chatted about a lot of things here, Saban. This is uh this has been quite fun. Now, w- one more thing before I let you go. Well, I- I'll have a couple of questions for you. I always, I always, uh, I leave my guests on and tell them I'm going to let them go, but I'm not going to yet. <laughs> as far as, as far as the mentoring thing, I mentioned briefly that you, you did a recent bird tales episode where you took out a new hunter. Was that a, was that a goal of yours before the season started? Were you, have you made it a habit of taking new people out in the woods? Was that a first for you? I'm just curious. So yes and no. Um, it's not necessarily habit. It's, I really enjoy getting people out, uh, to hunt when they've never, a lot of times it's people who have hunted other things and haven't ever pheasant hunting or hunted rough rough or whatever it is. So I've done a fair bit of that in the past. Um, but this year I really wanted to take somebody out who had almost no experience with hunting. Um, so I've actually got two mentees, um, lined up that I'm working with this year and, uh, I'm hoping to get them out at least a couple more times in the season. It's pretty challenging to get the timing lined up. Um, you know, most of the Minnesota people live in the city. Tessie, both of my mentees, and I live two plus hours away, so it's a little bit of a struggle to get the timing lined up. But uh, I really wanted to to take some new people out and have that experience with them. That's uh, a blast. And if you if you remember, if you uh, are paying attention to the bird Tales episode last year, um, maybe the fourth or fifth episode. I took a, a young man out on his first pheasant hunt. Um, we hunted all day, and at the end of the day, uh, rooster flushes, and he shoots and drops it. And that was still the highlight of that season, and maybe even the highlight of this season still, was him shooting that first bird. And so maybe there's a little bit of a selfish notion in here, or a selfish notion in here, where 
I really enjoy watching them shoot the birds. I just want to keep going at the top. Yeah, absolutely. I did. I did see that episode, and it was it was very cool to see that young man shoot that rooster. And I I would definitely echo that. I've I've been around people that have that have shot their first birds, and it's something that you know I I'd like to do it. I'd like to do it a little bit more. I'd like to get a few more people out behind my dogs. But like you mentioned, it's you know it's obviously a scheduling scheduling thing in the fall it's it's never long enough and that's that's partially why it's so enjoyable because it is it's it's fleeting and you have to enjoy every moment of it but again like we we talked about a little bit here we need uh we need that steady flow of of new hunters and without them you know we're uh we're going to be we're going to be running in circles trying to figure out where we went wrong so that's uh that's for sure. It's very cool that you've been working on getting new people out in the woods. It's it's enjoyable to watch, and uh, I uh, I hope you keep doing it on the bird tails. Yep, uh, we're gonna keep trying. <laughs> All right, man. Well, well, this was this was fun. Now, one last little parting thing. What advice would you give somebody's listening to this podcast? Maybe they started watching the bird tails, or maybe they're going to after they finish listening to this. What advice would you give to that new upland hunter that doesn't necessarily know where to start? Any words of wisdom for him? I would say find a friend is, is my advice. Uh, find somebody to, to do to do this with you. It doesn't necessarily need to be somebody who um, has experience in bird hunts and, and knows all about the woods. To find somebody who wants to be out there with you so you can do this together and share the experience and motivate each other and and sit in the misery of having just missed the easiest shot that was ever ever seen do that <laughs> together um, because that's what works for me I mean that's why I still hunted I had a friend uh, growing up that him and I hunted all the time and we weren't good hunters we weren't even successful hunters but we did it together and that kept us going so you can find somebody who wants to, to be out there with you and you can share that with definitely do it that's great advice a lot of people you know i've asked that question before and a lot of people they do suggest you know find a mentor find somebody that's done it before and that's obviously excellent advice but find a friend that's a little bit different spin on it a lot of great friendships have been made in the upland. Some of my best friends, probably my best friends have been, some of them I've known my whole life, others I haven't, but my best friendships are strengthened by upland hunting together. So that is a, that's a great piece of advice. And I think it's, uh, should be, should be definitely taken by anybody, anybody new to this, looking to get deeper into upland hunting, find a friend, you heard it from Saban. Dude, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Like I mentioned a couple of times, I'll post links to the bird tails in the show notes and we'll send people your way. Keep up the good work on the bird tails. You're entertaining me and uh, it's, it's a, I, I enjoy watching it. And uh, being that we're so close together, it'd be real fun to get out in the, out in the woods or the field someday. So we'll have to keep in touch, man. Definitely. Hit me up anytime. Appreciate it, buddy. You have a great weekend. Great See ya. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. You've been listening to the Project Upland podcast. We'd like to thank all of our partners on the podcast as they help bring you, the listener, each and every episode. Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, Onyx Maps, and Gumleaf Boots. Please check out their websites check out their operations, and support them as they continue to support the Project Upland podcast. Head over to projectupland.com for more great stuff, videos, articles from Project Upland and Northwoods Collective. Check it out there at projectupland.com. Don't forget, you could be next week's winner of the Project Upland podcast giveaway. All you've got to do is make a meaningful contribution to this show by doing any and or all of these things. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, hit that little subscribe button, share the podcast post, and please reach out to us, send us your feedback, your thoughts on the show, and your suggestions for future episodes. I'm an Upland hunter. I love to hear from other Upland hunters. Tell me your story. Reach out to me. Use the contact form at the Project Upland website or send me an email directly at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. That's it for this week, everybody. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.